friends. Welcome to episode 237 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are you doing, Rob? You know, I would say fair to mid. Ugh, well, it's simply better than I'm doing. You're, you know, you could say that you're doing okay, except for the fact that your work is pretty damn loaded. I'm just, you know, it, it, it's it's a combination of two things. Is that I I took a vacation, which was which was an error. Um, <laughs> it was not was, an error. That was my first mistake. It was not an error. I I took a vacation, and I don't have a backup at work, so basically a week's worth of work just piled up, and I am still under that pile even now. Mm-hmm. And uh, then at the end of my vacation time changed because that's yes. a thing that happens mm-hmm. uh and now it gets dark at five thirty here in 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 detroit so mm-hmm. uh <laughs> i my my seasonal affective disorder suddenly is now going oh the day is already over you haven't even eaten dinner and the day is over mm-hmm. you should prepare for bed and you can start with work again tomorrow morning yep and i have to like actively convince myself i'm like it's six it's six o'clock like it's okay. The sun is down, but it's still the night is still young. There is still time. I can relax. Yep. I what is it? It's five in the afternoon. Your eyes are the size of the moon because the moon is out because it's fucking dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that's how that song goes. I think. So. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Oh, we had mouse guard last weekend. We did. We had a very uh, beer and pretzels session. Yeah. Uh, it was exceptionally beer and pretzels. Mm-hmm. We were very very lazy about it. But it was good. It was yeah. a good. It was, it's been a while. It's it, been a while. It's, it's been. It's been. Or it's been. A, it's been a hot. It's been a second. while. Yeah. Um, but it was really good. Good to get back to it. Get it back was. To the territories. It was. It was nice to be back in the territories. It was nice to experience that style of game, a different style of gameplay. Um, and our GM is is fantastic at um, uh, accepting uh, uh, like advice and stuff at the end of session and, and oh yeah sure and we're very good about communicating it for a beer and pretzels game we come up with some great ideas you know what i think it is i, th- I think it's because like m- you know matthew being a uh i forget what his official title is if he's a social worker a therapist you know but he but he, he's ms he's, a, he's an msw some some yeah, sort of, some of sort social of, work yeah, yeah counselor social worker you yes. know so he's you you kind of already know like what vibe he's working on when you know? he's working, yeah. And so, well, no, I'm just saying just in, in general, yeah, because he's yeah. that type of person. Right, you know? right, right. He he's was not... that before he became an MSW. He's an extraordinarily stable person, extraordinarily calm person. Yes. And so when you can you can tell him, like, yeah, I didn't particularly vibe with this particular aspect of your game. And you know Matthew's not going to be the type of person who's going to be like, <gasps> oh, oh, my God, this you know, utterly destroyed. And he's going to be like, that's that's good feedback. I yeah. will listen to that. And he, knows, and he knows it's delivered in good faith, too. Oh, completely, you know? completely. And so there's... There's, there's never I, I I don't ever feel like I can't give Matthew feedback, mm-hmm. um, and fear that he will take it the wrong way from me, mm-hmm. or that it will you know derail him in any way. Right, right, right. Uh, and that's so. that's a that's a great aspect to have in a storyteller, honestly. Yeah, if you could bottle that up and figure out how to sell that on oh the market, God, oof, please, yes, that'd be pretty fantastic. So just put a poor little caffeine in it and just put it out with the monster energy, man. That's fair. That's fair. So, all right. We do have a show tonight that we, we actually got a lot of questions on, which I like. We have a ton of questions tonight. Uh, and so we what we ended up kind of doing, um, we kind of, we, we got about halfway through our show notes and we were like, 
literally the rest of this is kind of covered in the questions. Let's just do half a show and the rest of it. The rest of it, let's just let our, our listeners prompt us. 100%. On because, 100%. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, what we call reskinning stories yes. or, or adapting stories. Mm-hmm. But basically, um, we've talked about this a bit before, um, especially when we're talking about uh, coming up with ideas for mm-hmm. your game, mm-hmm. for your plot. Um, and that is taking a movie or a book or something like that that you've experienced before and uh, we say filing off the serial numbers of it, you yeah. know, just kind of removing identifying names, places, things like that so that you're not just retelling the story. You yeah, know? it's not on repeat. Yeah, yeah exactly. So you're, you're, it's, you know, it's not Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, but, you know, maybe there's a hero and maybe there's an evil wizard, you know, we'll get to that sort of thing. Um, but uh, doing that to kind of repurpose an already existing plot, you know? Yeah, it was it was interesting, like, in the research of this that I uh, I had an idea of kind of where I wanted to go, but I really didn't have a great start point, to like a vector to come into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and funny enough that uh, it's uh, Kaliki, right? Kaliki? Kaliki. Kaliki. Put in our, our Discord that, that they were reading a theory of adaptation uh, by Linda Hutchinson, mm-hmm. and uh, I fell down a rabbit hole. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, hard. you did. Uh, but at the same time, it led me to some things. So I I will thank our Discord member for that, uh, for forcing me to hard skim through that book, and then a review, and then a, a three hundred level class dissertation um, from a professor discussing uh, a paper regarding it. So uh, I did not get to the interview that that three hundred level teacher had, uh, but I got pretty far into it. But regardless, um, I, I want to open with a quote uh, out of it, and that is, uh, "Adaptation is repetition, but repetition without replication." And I think that's kind of fitting as an opening point because what we're trying to do here is not replicate a story. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is replicate a story. That's rails. That's and and it's no fun. Like Yeah, 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 yeah. No nobody wants that when they sit down at the table. They want to be involved. I've done it. It's a mistake. Don't do it, please, ever. Agreed. Um, agreed. But at the same time, that's why this show is going to be, you know, over an hour and not going to be 15 minutes of us just going, just rip off a movie right. and done. Right. And and it's not to say that everything can be taken from. Mm-hmm. There are aspects that just don't work very well yeah, sure. in tabletop role play. Um, but there are uh, some serious questions to be asked of like, which is funny enough, when we put this out on Twitter, kind of got a response. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody somebody actually responded to us on Twitter, and uh, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but the word <laughs> said, yuck, I'd rather my storyteller tell an original story uh, than some rehashed one he stole from somewhere. And, and I'm going to say to the fact, to just, just briefly to that is, there are so many things that are rehashes. It's very hard to write original. Well, you know. It's very hard. But, but at the same time, why would you? Right, right, right. It's a good it, question. It, it is. It is a valid question. And 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 look, um, it, it, there's there's a lot to be said about you know what's rehashed from what else and stuff like that. But I yeah. think we all try our best to come up with our own stories. You know? Right. At least if we, if we do it, it's it's usually not deliberate. Of like, oh yeah, this is absolutely Star Wars, but I'm just you know changing the names to protect the innocent. You know. Yeah. I mean, is West Side Story actually Romeo and Juliet? Basically, yeah. It, yes, it is, and 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 any person who is is familiar with both properties go, oh, I just watched Romeo and Juliet again. Darn it! Sure, but did you enjoy it? Mm-hmm. 
you know, what about it did you enjoy? And without getting into that whole psychology of 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 why we enjoy adaptations, let's just kind of explain why you would want to do it. Sure. Uh, so uh, as far as why you would do this, there's three major reasons to do this. Okay. Um, the first is this is an accessibility tool. Yeah. Okay. Um, not everyone is able to just kind of, you know, sit down and just think about it for 15 minutes and come up with an amazing, you know, four-act plot mm-hmm. for, you know, for, for their role-playing game. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into it, mm-hmm. a lot of world-building and stuff like that. I mean, we have done whole years' worth of 101 sessions mm-hmm. uh, just trying to lay the basics of the groundwork and i think every single one of those shows we go we are only scratching the surface of this very much so we are at episode 237 of our own show dedicated to the art of storytelling and we probably have not covered everything that is possible in you know in storytelling oh god no and Um, and i think to that degree at the same point it's there to help you get to it faster yeah. Because when you don't have a plot scaffold, when you can't come up with something and you're literally, you know, just shooting the shit with your friends for a week and they're like, hey, you want to play some D&D? And you're like, yeah, I kind of do. And you're like, what the hell story am I going to tell? Yeah, you're like, oh, there's there's four of us here and we have some D&D books. Like, this happens to uh, 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 Sean and I used to go up north yeah. uh, with some friends and stuff like that. Uh, friends and his brother to, to, to go visit his mom. Yeah. Uh, Pre-COVID, we would do that. And... Uh, Frequently, when we get up there, we'd bring the D and D books. Sure, and then we were like, "Okay, now what?" Yeah. Oh, I didn't even plan a plot. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know what you characters you guys were going to be playing. Do yeah. we even want to play D and D while we're up here? You know. Yeah. So what am I going to do? Well, there, there you go. Quick, easy plot. Yeah. You know. Uh, and the last, last thing, aside from you know, being a tool for accessibility tool for people who have trouble coming up with original works, mm-hmm. and a speed tool for people who need a plot now. Mm-hmm. It's just fun, and there's nothing wrong with it. No. Like, you don't need an excuse to do this. No, and and I think in the fun of it is it's not just fun for you. It's fun in the exposure of it mm-hmm. because it's a familiar – even if they don't get it right off the bat, the back of their mind is itching about it if they're experiencing it. Yeah. And that is fun. That little tingle of, like, I feel like I know this. Why do I know this? And and there's 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 that little bit of excitement too in the storyteller of like, oh, this is an obscure property that I happen to love. I wonder if they'll notice this is the plot of Akira, you know? <laughs> um But yeah, you know, I mean if you wanna you don't you don't need an excuse. If you wanna do Who Framed Roger Rabbit as a Star Trek story, just do it. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So when it comes right down to it, when you've scraped off all the numbers, what is it? What does it take? How do you dissect something enough to say, this is something that I want to use? And really, it comes down to boiling it down to the bones of the story. And I liked that when we were coming up, when we were putting the final show sheet together, that you used that term, because I think it feels really good. We always talk about plot scaffolding, Mm -hmm. but now we're talking about this completed thing, and we're like, what do we want to do? We want to disassemble it down to its bones, because that's what we need. Yeah. Right? We we need to have some basic structure pulled from it to reuse. Right. And when I say boil it down to its bones, I mean down to its bones. Okay? What we are not trying to do here is retell the story exactly the way that it appeared. Correct. Okay. We're not replicating. We are taking only the broadest of strokes, and we are filling in literally everything else 
with our own stuff, with things that are appropriate to our setting, mm -hmm. to our game, to our story. Yeah, so we're looking at the broad genre. Is it adventure? Is it a mystery? Is it horror? What what are we talking about when we look at the original property right. or the original item? And and it's important to note because you can buy when you boil these things down far enough, you can change the mm -hmm. genre of it. Mm -hmm. So you want to know what it originally is, but you also kind of know want to know what you're aiming for. Right. You know. Uh, so this this is a mutable property, but you want to know what it is to begin with. Mm -hmm. okay. The more you shift from it, the more you have to scaffold. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's always nice to have that. Um, the, the second thing is you want to look at like the setting. Um, it's often there's an important reason why this matters. Okay, what about the setting allows the story to happen? Okay, mm -hmm. I that sounds weird right now. Mm -hmm. But I, I promise we've got three great examples that yep. we're going to walk you all through. And yep. the very first thing is we're going to look at the unique aspects of the setting that allows the story to happen. Yeah, okay. and it, it's, it, it adds a different piece to each part, but the setting is something that definitely needs to be examined. Right. And I think the final one is something that kind of presents itself as always, which is what is the core challenge? What mm -hmm. is the challenge that is being presented that ties everything back to that hook that yeah. thing that pulls the characters into it exactly now this is going to be typically the linchpin of your story mm -hmm. um the thing that the whole story revolves around so like raiders of the lost ark only works if you have the lost ark once it's gone story's over right i mean what are we fighting over then it's just a bunch of indie punching nazis which i would watch mm -hmm. for two hours but well, sure know. sure sure but it would just be in indiana jones and the lost teeth of a bunch of nazis not lost ark <laughs> that is fair um so, like, if you're adapting that story, what you need is not necessarily an arc. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's way too specific. But what you need is a powerful artifact that's desired by both the antagonist and the protagonist. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. You In need... that example. Yeah. It... of the Lost Ark is, a... Is, a... Is, a... is an elaborate game of Steal the Bacon. Yeah. Yeah. Right? In every single form. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you, you just make the... The... the arc whatever it is appropriate for your story. Before you adapt it. But you just need to identify that that's the thing the story mm -hmm. wraps around. What is that linchpin? Yep. That core challenge, whatever it may be. And then finally, you have characters that are involved that are essential. Because you can peel away all the non-essential ones that don't make the connection to the hook. But there are always some essential characters that tie to that hook of the story and wrap with that linchpin. Now, they... They sometimes become less and less necessary, but they're necessary in the sense that they make the story what it is. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, these are uh, quintessential character tropes uh, that are hidden in the guise of something. For instance, they might be a narrator. They might be a guardian. They might be a protector. They might be the protagonist. They might be they might be an antagonist. Mm -hmm. All of these things are are character tropes that often help the story move along. We've we've talked about them in other uh, in our other stories in our, I think in our storytelling one on ones, um, but it's sometimes you have to figure out who those people are, and sometimes the story only has those people. Yeah, good stories you barely know any other cast members but five. Mm -hmm. That's the whole story. Those five people. Yeah, but they're so, all important and they all they all serve a function. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um. And you, you also, you really need to know how they tie in Correct. the story, right? Yep. So it's not only important to identify things like this is the antagonist, this is the protagonist, mm -hmm. this one's a guardian, this one's a love interest or whatever, mm -hmm. but understanding what function they serve 
in the story. Yes. And making sure they perform that function in your story so that you can replicate the action of the story. Correct. Right? Correct. Let's move into an example. Let's move into a few. Let's move into a few. All right. So this morning, I woke up bright and early. Mm Mm-hmm. And I started thinking of how to change the famed movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay. It's a story of, it's a noir story set Mm -hmm. in the 40s? uh, Ostensibly. Um, No, no, no. Yeah, 30s or 40s, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, In Hollywood. Mm -hmm. uh, And it involves uh, tunes. There yes. are cartoons yep. that uh, live and work alongside, uh, and ostensibly the 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 uh, the art of making cartoons is just like filming any other property. Yep. Only you're filming the cartoon characters instead of actually living f- flesh and blood movie stars. It's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant movie. If you haven't seen it, one of my favorites in the all in, in the world, and it's a technical wonder of its time. It was not only a technical wonder; it was a licensing wonder of its time because it crossed properties. You got Warner Brothers and Disney both agreeing to license characters, yes. and it wasn't Space Jam. <laughs> exactly. All right. Now, all that being said, what it is at its court, though, at its core, though, as you, if you couldn't tell by the name, who framed Roger Rabbit, <laughs> is it's a murder mystery. Yes. Uh, in which the eponymous murderer, uh, uh, Roger Rabbit, is framed for murder. So, what we're going to do is we're going to turn this into a Star Trek movie. Into well, a, first, we're going to assemble Into a Star Trek story. Yep. We're... Right, right, right. Well, I'm, I'm going to show you how to do it. Yes. Okay. So, let's rip it down to its bones. Yep. Okay. What is important about the setting? What we need... Is we have to have two different worlds, mm-hmm. okay? In the movie, it is Toontown and mm-hmm. it is Hollywood, mm-hmm. okay? The world of the Toons and the world of Hollywood. They are very closely tied, but they are very alien to one another. Correct. They okay? require each other. Now, um, if we're going to turn this into a Star Trek story, I think the Federation and Bajor Okay. Are great locations for this. Bajor from DS9. From DS9, exactly. They never entered the Federation. Mm-hmm. So they are very closely tied to it because obviously Deep Space Nine is right there. Mm-hmm. We have seven, you know, seven series, uh, uh, seasons of a series around it. Uh, but yeah, they never entered the Federation. So we've got them together, but separate. Okay. At the core challenge, the core challenge is obviously this is a murder mystery. So we're going to have to have some fundamentals here. And we know what sort of um, what sort of groundwork we're laying for this. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, important characters. Yes. First off, we need an antagonist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Judge Doom mm-hmm. is the antagonist in in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. All mm-hmm. right. So, what function does Judge Doom f- have in the story? He he lives in both worlds technically. Mm-hmm. Because he has, he is not only a judge, a quote unquote human judge, in the human realm, but at the same time, he is the authority in Toontown and has weasels working for him. Mm-hmm. So he he connects both of those worlds by rights. Specifically, he's overseeing the 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 essential will that's involved in the process. Like he's trying to f- complete that process in a legal way, which is something that is very human mm-hmm. in design. That legal, that 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 rule-based system which he follows to a T. Sure. Now, 
what I will tell you is what's important there mm-hmm. is none of that. Correct. You don't need any of those particulars of Judge Doom to be part of this, okay? What we need, though, is someone who can straddle both worlds, mm-hmm. okay? Lives in one and is part of the other. Yes. That's it. That is the barest essential, okay? He's also going to be the one that orchestrates the whole thing because, mm-hmm. spoiler alert for a very old movie, he does. He's yes. he's the one that frames Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. All right. We need a murder victim. Yeah. In the movie, it's Marvin Acme. Um, he is an important figure. He's basically the, the king of cartoons here in, uh, uh, in, in the real world. He is a human. Yes. Um, and so... But he's also beloved by the tunes. Yeah, very beloved by the tunes. Uh, it's one of the reasons why he is essentially the king of cartoons in the human world, because he, he works with them constantly. God, the guy's, the guy's practically a cartoon himself. He's, uh, he's such a jokester. So I could see someone who is either Bajoran who is beloved by the in the federation maybe a, a a diplomat of some kind who has a lot of charisma mm-hmm. that they've accepted or the opposite a a federation person who's been living in Bajor so long that they feel like he is one of them yes a very beloved federation ambassador to Bajor mm-hmm. maybe maybe even has a Bajoran wife maybe even has a Bajoran wife yeah sure all right so the next one we need is we need the suspect to be framed. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the story, this is Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Roger is an absolute moron. Mm-hmm. He's just a, a buffoon. lovable buffoon. Yep. Um, but he's a cartoon. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course he is. He's a, he's a worker. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's but he's he's just a uh uh, you know, he's that type of cartoon like Wiley e. Coyote. He's mm-hmm. always the one taking the lumps rather mm-hmm. than giving them. Yep. You know. Yep. Um. And that kind of translates over into uh, into how he is outside of outside of working and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But again, none of that is is really important to what his attitude is, or whatnot. The important part is is that when he is framed for murder, mm-hmm. okay, he he feels beyond reproach simply because he's far too innocent, and it's not in his nature to have done so. Yes. Okay. So. I would say that's the essential aspect we need in our suspect mm-hmm. is that they're framed, but we need people to look at them and go, that guy? Right. Like everyone that guy's does the that. murderer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it all lines up, you know, this happened, that happened, that happened, and now the ambassador's dead. Mm-hmm. Really, that guy. Yeah. Something smells fishy here. Right. You know? Right. All right. Next important character we need is R.K. Maroon. A, a alternative, uh, almost uh, obstentially uh, um, mirror, not necessarily direct mirror, but uh, of of the murdered victim. Yes. Someone who is the same in the industry, at the same level, who almost has similar motives and, and probably is in question a little bit, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like, would w- wants what he had. At some level, mm-hmm. wants that level of power and 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 possibly his whole, you know, uh, in this case, his whole production company. Sure, he wants to he wants to accept it, but doesn't outright say it. Sure, you know, um, I would say that's that's uh that that's a good breakdown of R.K. Maroon. Um, but boiled down to his bare bones, really, all we need him to function as, and this is the reason he's an essential character in this. Mm-hmm. Is uh, because we just need someone in authority who can give the PCs the job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
and he serves the function of being blackmailed by the antagonist mm-hmm. into setting things in motion. Yes. Okay. Um, the the antagonist isn't working directly mm-hmm. because that would be too easy to trace back to framing Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he essentially pressures R.K. Maroon into doing this thing for him, mm-hmm. into setting things in motion for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and R.K. Maroon's not going to talk about it. No. Because this is blackmail. Mm-hmm. If he does, bad bad stuff comes to happen to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never see Judge Doom out in the open. Right. All right. So what we need is some a powerful human mm-hmm. in authority, maybe like a, uh, a, a another ambassador or a um, wealthy Starfleet, businessman, Starfleet admiral, oh, or something yeah. like that. Definitely, a Starfleet position would be a good one for that one too. Uh, you know, someone someone who can take the Starfleet PCs and mm-hmm. say. Hey, we need you to look into this. Yeah. Okay. Someone who can hand who, who can tell the Starfleet PCs what to do. Mm-hmm. Lastly, I think lastly, I would I, say lastly, I, I put weasels on this list, but I don't think they're essential. They're not essential. They're but they're, they're fun, but I, I think they're essential in a different way. But we'll yep. continue. Uh, lastly, we need Jessica Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now Jessica Rabbit, I think everybody knows her. The the sexy, suave, voluptuous, femme fatale, uh, femme fatale um, in the the red sequin dress, uh, married to Jessica, uh, married to to Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, hence the last name Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is an unwitting accomplice to the conspiracy, uh, and she's tied directly to the suspect. Okay. Yes. Now. In the movie, mm-hmm. what happens is she is also kind of blackmailed into uh, playing patty cake with uh, Maroon. Uh, no, no, with Marvin Acme. With Marvin Acme. With right. Marvin Acme. Okay. Um, R.K. Maroon mm-hmm. hires the, our protagonist, Eddie Valiant, mm-hmm. to go and snoop basically through the window and take incriminating photos of Jessica and Marvin Acme together. Mm-hmm. Okay, they show these pictures to Roger. Roger becomes irate, overseeing his wife with another man. Mm-hmm. Um, and that very night, Marvin Acme is killed mm-hmm. in a by dropping a safe on his head, which is a very tune way to do things. Yep. Uh, and there's some other circumstantial evidence that that kind of puts Roger at the scene. Right. Um. Uh. And so yeah, you've got you've got you you. you Basically, you're forced into a motive, mm-hmm. and then this murder happens. Yep. Okay. That's all you need. That's all you need is these players to move in those specific ways. Mm-hmm. You need someone to get murdered. You need someone to tell the PCs, like, hey, look into this. Maybe your ship has some advanced scanners. We just need you to, you know, there's some anomalous behavior going on here, or ask some questions, or snoop around, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Get involved in mm-hmm. some way. See this thing happening. Yep. You bring the the evidence back. That person becomes irate. The target ends up dead. The the ambassador to the Bajoran uh, Bajoran uh, 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 provisional government ends up dead. Mm-hmm. And now we have a murder mystery on our hands. Yep. What do we do with the rest of the story? At that point, it's in the hands of the players. Yep. And you walk away. And you walk away. You already know all the players that are involved. You know their motivations. If this was like a Forged in the Dark game, mm-hmm. you might have a doom clock for said doom. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that no matter what guys you give that person, you know who they are. You know 
the sounds they're going to make. You know the movements of their body. No different than you know Judge Doom in the story. But your players don't know that. So that gives you that chance to make the world feel alive. One of the reasons why I feel that the weasels are important in this story is because the judge needs to have power Mm -hmm. in that space. He needs to be the one who's really investigating what's going on. So the weasels come into play whenever the PCs need to be pushed away from the obvious. If if we're if we're talking Star Trek here, mm-hmm. the weasels are the Gem Hadar to Judge Doom's Vorta. Sure, why not? Because you need somebody. There is Beat Squad. Yeah, you, there's you, Muscle. Yeah, you need someone who's going to be there saying, you know, we're here doing the proper investigation. Yeah. Why don't you take your drunk Federation selves away? Mm-hmm. You know, since you have no teeth in this game. Yeah. And we'll take care of it for you. You know, that type of thing. So it's necessary for the setting to show that there's a loss of, you know, the Federation can't just roll up on this situation. Mm-hmm. It's not their situation to roll up on. So that's where we're talking about the setting itself has an effect on how the story can move mm-hmm. and gives your players a certain sense of what's my next motivation that I'm allowed to do. Right, right. Where should I be stepping into this story? Mm-hmm. Who can I go question? And then you have it. Yeah, but but you but you know where all the groundwork is, and you know who done it. Yep. So at that point, just run it like a normal murder, yep. murder mystery, and let the chips fall where they may. Mm-hmm. I love it all. All right, let's do another one. All right, a different one. No, no mystery on this one. This is one that. Uh... Uh, I, I think we've talked about quite a bit uh, in the past, is uh, Star Wars. Uh, specifically A New Hope. Star Wars, specifically A New Hope. Um, and we're going to do it as contemporary fantasy. We're just going to put stick it into D&D. Literally file off the serial numbers. Yeah. As, as hard as we can, until mm-hmm. it's almost, almost unrecognizable down to the bare metal. And that is, we have a setting where there is an evil wizard who is slowly taking control of the world. And why? Because he has a doomsday weapon in he his does. castle. He, he does. He has an evil castle with a doomsday weapon. And strangely enough, there's a princess who knows how to destroy it, how to get rid of it. Right. And so this evil wizard has taken the princess captive. Correct. And now there's a good wizard mm-hmm. who has found a, a message from the from the princess. Which finally received a message from the princess. At, uh, 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 begging to be rescued. And so he is going to assemble his ragtag band of heroes, and they are going to assault the castle, rescue the princess, and destroy the doomsday weapon. Yep. Possibly confronting the evil wizard along the way. Quite possibly. And that is literally Star Wars A New Hope. Yep. There you go. Packaged with a neat bow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, that's probably as on the nose as you're going to get with one of these. Obviously, Star Wars is a very recognizable premise, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, it's still a good story. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's a basic plot. It's a very basic plot. It's a basic fantasy plot with a lot of extra guys wrapped around it. And and how ubiquitous. I, I, I suppose it's probably more, like, in legend than it actually is in actual practice. Of how ubiquitous the whole like rescue the princess from the dungeon sort of uh, sort of plot is in D anD D, but like I think just in a very tropey way, mm-hmm. you know, I think when we think D anD D, we're like, oh, slay the dragon, rescue the princess, you know? Yeah. Well, okay, maybe it's not a dragon, maybe it's an evil wizard, but still. Yeah. 
Yeah. And one of the keys to that setting is the opening discussion, which is the fact that the crawl kind of tells it to you. The reason why your players are even involved is those characters involved is, is because that evil wizard is known to be taking over the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Like, th- or over the world in this case. It may be slow and painful, but everyone will eventually be under his control mm-hmm. or under their control. And that's, that's again, where that setting makes sense to pull in. Where the players are losing, are, are basically, those characters are losing their ability to have free will in their own world. They're going to have to conform to whatever this wizard wants. And nobody wants that. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants that freedom. And now they have a chance that possibly they might be able to stop it. Maybe they'll get fame from it. Who knows? Yeah. I think our last one that we, we chose is a good one. Because it's something you wouldn't normally think to file the serial numbers off. Of. Sure, I mean we did a we did a mystery. Mm-hmm. We did an ad, a straight classic adventure, adventure. A classic yep. adventure story. Let's do a horror. I agree. And Nightmare on Elm Street sounds like a good classic horror. Nightmare on Elm Street. All right. So I think everybody kind of knows Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, this is Freddy Krueger. I think I think universally everybody knows Freddy Krueger. In case you don't. Because I, I understand I'm speaking from a place of privilege here. I yes. know we have some people who do who are not from America. Very ubiquitous. Or very young and just never got to horror. Yeah, very, very ubiquitous here in America. But uh, in case you are not, um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is a long-standing horror series of slasher flicks mm-hmm. um, where the antagonist is a mystical uh Dreamwalker Char- character. Basically, he can he can move through dreams, mm-hmm. um, and that is where he hunts. He is known by his uh, red and I think it's actually dark navy. It's not black. I think it's green actually. Red, is it? red and green striped. Isn't that uh, crazy about VHS? Screws every well, color. Well, because he's always in the dark. Yeah. You know? So it looks like red uh, and black. His right hand uh, mm-hmm. ha- is a uh, it has a prosthetic claw set on uh, off each one of the it's, fingers. It's a glove with, with yes. knives on each finger. Yep, and uh, he is. Scarred, scarred, yeah. Like, burned, scarred. Uh, and he wears a, ha- a hat most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, actually, I think you're 95% of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as, a, as a creature of horror, he exists in the dream realm. Yes. Uh. So, what we need, essentially, to, tell, to, to reskin Nightmare on Elm Street is we need a setting where there are two separate domains. Sounds pretty familiar. Okay. Mm. One which the protagonists feel safe in mm-hmm. and are probably native to. Yeah, relatively safe. And another which is foreign to them and makes them feel vulnerable. Yes. Okay. Um, now, two things come to mind here. Sure. We could tell this as a space story. Ooh, yeah. Because uh, – space itself Mm -hmm. is this second realm okay Mm -hmm. when you're in atmosphere you're inside the habitat Mm -hmm. inside the space station or the the moon you know Mm -hmm. uh uh uh, habitation whatever Mm -hmm. um you're inside you're safe but when you go out in space you're in your space suit you're out of atmosphere you're vulnerable Mm -hmm. okay very much so maybe that's the realm in which our, our our killer hunts in sure okay uh the other one that came to mind is telling this as a cyberpunk story Oh, yes. Because a killer, instead of being in dreams, being in cyberspace. Yeah. Especially, you know, one of, one of the big tropes you always see in, in uh, cyberpunk stories is that when you're, when you're jacked into the net, you're, uh, you're you vulnerable. Know, if you die in there, you die in real life. Yeah. The body can, cannot exist without the mind. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, 
So in that, he, the our protagonist, is a master in one. Uh, antagonist. Or sorry, the antagonist is, is a master in one. He is ostensibly something that can move through that realm with almost un- unimpedance, right? Um, he yes. still has to follow some of the rules of that realm, mm-hmm. but he knows them better than anyone. Yes, yes, yes. He... And uses it as his hunting ground. Regardless of what reasoning you come up with to fit your setting, he has the advantage in this foreign realm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> He's just, just like Canada. If you die in Canada, you die in real life. That's yeah, yeah. That's that is true. So, um, okay. Now the protagonists, okay, mm-hmm. ostensibly need to be people with ties to that domain. Yeah. I.e., you will want probably more than one character capable of going into cyberspace, or just make cyberspace something that is required to do your job. Yeah, 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 yeah. No matter what you're doing, exactly. Um, or you know, like I said, if, in space, you know it. it more than one person going EVA, extravehicular activity, outside. Yeah. yeah, I mean, going from a hab to something else. Yes. Uh, I always look at, like, The Abyss as a movie. And again, you're moving out into the dark, murky water. Oh, that's again, a good it's one. The, yeah. It's that p- passing of realms that becomes risky. And even if you travel that realm through something that you feel safe in, it's risky. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um. In this, uh, it, it, this one's pretty easy, though, because, like, the, basically you just need this killer to stalk and kill people that enter that domain. Mm-hmm. You go into cyberspace, they can kill you there. Mm-hmm. You go outside the hab, they can kill you there, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and this becomes known to the protagonists by taunting them and terrorizing them. Yes. And remember that, like, although this is uh, what we're talking about here is is reskinning. Mm-hmm. And we're tearing things down to the bones. You still are f- meeting those same obligations of objective obstacle complication. Yes. So you're we're talking about, especially with Nightmare on Elm Street, we have this killer that exists in cyber in the cyberspace. The obstacle in that case is him. Mm-hmm. He has to be presented as the obstacle. He can't just be something that is is there. Now that is not to say. That you couldn't use Nightmare on Elm Street as your, as a portion of your adventure where he is the complication to your obstacle. Or oh, to sure. Your goal. You might have something entirely else going on, and it's like, okay, well, as soon as we go into cyberspace, we can solve this. <sighs> but if we go into cyberspace, the cyber killer will get us. Right. We, which we know about. Uh huh. You know, and so now you have that element, that thing. Like, whatever they're doing is effectively a milk run, but now because of this thing, yeah. there's a problem. Yeah. And and now now you can take that reskinning and give it life, a different life. Sure. But you already know how it moves. Mm-hmm. You know its requirements. You know why it's there. You know its motivations. You know what its plans are. Mm-hmm. Even if it doesn't go after the PCs, it's going to go after things around them. Yeah, yeah. It's going to make life difficult until they show up and do something about it. Right. The trick then is... What solves it? Well, it's uh, more or less uh, omnipotent in its own domain. Mm-hmm. So the trick is get it out of its own domain. Sure. What do they do in the movie? They drag Freddy Krueger into the real world. Mm-hmm. Someone grabs onto him and then wakes up and yeah. pulls him into reality. And then suddenly they kick the crap out of him. Because he's just a dude. Because he's just a he's dude. He's just a dude. Yep. Yep. Um. So we have some good questions. And I, I, I kind of want to hit the questions in here because uh, I, ha- I have like a 
a, a final thought that I want to drop on uh, after all of this. But we have really good questions, and some of these actually we ha- we have some reskins in here that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, so Neva asks, what elements should be taken in consideration when choosing a story to reskin? So you want a story where I I I mean just just basically like any other role playing game, you want to make sure that when you're choosing a story, whether you're coming up with it yourself. Or you're reskinning something, you always want the PCs to have something to do. Yes. If you cannot distinctly answer the question of what will the PCs do, yes. how will they interact with the story, what will they be mm-hmm. in this world, and what will their objective be, then you've chosen a bad one. Mm-hmm. Um, you should think about that. So, you know, in, in the Hoover and Roger Rabbit example, it's good because they can basically fill in, the, multiple people can fill in for Eddie Valiant. Mm-hmm. Okay. You just need. A group of people who are curious about solving the murder. Yeah. In the case of A New Hope, they're all trying to resolve the big, great problem. Yeah, they're all trying uh, to defeat the Dark Wizard. Right, and and now there's an option to do so. Mm-hmm. Great, wonderful. In the case of Nightmare on Elm Street, it kind of fits a little bit more in the, there has to be an objective beyond it, and this is the complication, or they've been asked to solve this complication because, much like Roger Rabbit, it killed someone important and they're being hired for it. Yes, yes. You know, and whatever it is, whether that hiring is money or that hiring is blackmail or that hiring is requirement, all comes down to how your your characters come into the mm-hmm. game. And that's the, the piece there. I, th- I think you also kind of want to look at um, uh, how you want the story to resolve. Um, and when I say how you want it to resolve, what I mean, I guess, is like... Be careful. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm listening I, to what you just said, and I'm confused. Okay. So I, I'm, tra- I'm thinking of tra- 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 thinking how to try to, how to, uh, how to frame this. Um, you want an inciting incident, mm-hmm. okay, that pushes the PCs into action. And I think at that point, I think you want to be able to let go of it. Correct. I agree with that uh, statement. Is, 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 is what you want. Don't think of how they should resolve it right let them tell you how they could resolve it so like if you're re if if, if you're re-farming uh or, or reskinning uh uh who roger rabbit mm-hmm. you shouldn't be thinking well at the end of the movie they have this big fight with this dip cannon how do i shoehorn that don't worry no. about that no that's not the problem the problem is somebody framed the roger rabbit stand in mm-hmm. and the group needs to figure out who that was mm-hmm. you already know who it was because it was your judge doom stand in correct after that, let go. Yeah. Let go. Let the PCs figure it out. Yeah. You already know the resolution. If you're doing the Star Wars thing, don't worry about the Death Star trench run. Right. That doesn't need to happen for Not the story all. to work. You've got a, you've got a princess who's gotten who's been kidnapped by a dark wizard in his doomsday castle. Mm-hmm. And you need to rescue her. Yep. And cool. she she's going to explain to you. How to destroy the castle. Let the PCs figure everything else out. Let it go off the rails from there. Yep. Right? Yep. And you never know. Bad things happen all the time, but it, it doesn't stop the motivation of what they're doing and why. Yes. Yes. Um, likewise, in the case of... Um, of uh, Where was I going to go? My brain just died. Oh. Um, it's coming back to me slowly. Nope. It's gone. I was talking about Roger Rabbit, and I realized that there was another movie that basically was Who Framed Roger Rabbit differently. It'll come back to me. Okay. That's a reskin of itself. Um, so next question is, how do you reskin a story based on one main pro- protagonist for a group of characters? I mean, 
Roger Rabbit technically is a yeah. one-name protagonist. It is. It's Eddie Valiant being being refilled in with an entire group of people. So the key is um, is understanding that you the protagonist isn't part of the bones. That that is the thing you have to you have to be able to remove them as a character mm-hmm. and only see it as what is the mo- what is the objective that a protagonist or group of protagonists is trying to achieve. Yeah. That is that's it. That's yeah. the simplicity of it. If exactly. you've if you've got it down to a protagonist must be this, then then re- you're then you're too granular, or the story is not the right story to do. Yeah. So yep. Uh, how do you re- reskin a story from one genre? to another for example reskinning dune as a call of cthulhu scenario i think that's a great example Mm -hmm. um uh we 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 worked through this it was a bit of a challenge but i think we i think we did pretty good all right all right all right so so dune is a call of cthulhu scenario there you go let's start with the basics let's tear it down okay so what we need is we need an alien resource of some sort a demanded a demanded alien alien resource okay um, that you can only get one place. It's desired. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we sure. need we need a MacGuffin mm-hmm. that everybody wants. Something that actually produces, not just a MacGuffin. Maybe, maybe something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the resource. I yeah. mean, presumably, if if you're a resource, you're not one thing. Right. Right. You're instantly expended if you're one thing. But it, yeah, yeah. It, but 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 a resource can be a MacGuffin. Sure. You know, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. All right. So you need you need you need this desire, and, and it has to be. Um, it has to be alien, okay? Mm-hmm. So if we're turning this into a Call of Cthulhu scenario, okay, mm-hmm. this is a perfect place for us to insert the otherworldly, yeah. okay, to insert insert that, that Lovecraftian Cthulhu mm-hmm. influence here, okay? Sure. Um, I would say there's got to be rivals who both want access to the desired resource. Yes. Okay. It doesn't particularly matter who these are. Mm-mm. Um, but some two positions of authority mm-hmm. that are now going to battle over access to this otherworldly resource. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. We need a space where this resource exists and it is dangerous to go to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in Dune... This mm-hmm. is because the spice is produced by the sandworms. Yes. Okay. On, on Arrakis. Yes. Um, and so I think it's very easy to take the sandworms and fill them in with something otherworldly. Yog Sothoth, you know? Sure. Like, this is this is Yog Sothoth's poop. This is Azathoth's tears. Slime or whatever. Who yeah. knows? Who knows what? It doesn't even need a name, you mm-hmm. know? Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this is something that comes from these otherworldly aspects that we're interacting with. Okay. Um, let's see here. We need, uh, you said we also need, we also need something within that space that is, that is not in control of it. So the Fremen are a, are are, are, are a, an entity that is basically under a guise, but at the same time, not really in control, not being controlled. Mm-hmm. Like they're there, they have knowledge, so they kind of can be a guide. But at the same time, they're also all about that thing. Mm-hmm. They're they're bathing in it practically. Yeah, like they know more about it than anyone else. To the fact that they are religiously bound to it. And I think that's a perfect analogy in any Call of Cthulhu story for like, you know, cultists. Mm-hmm. You know, cultists of Azathoth. Who are changed. Who are changed by this. They're, they're 
I mean, in, in so many Lovecraft stories, they're these twisted mutants because of their proximity to the mm-hmm. to the otherworldly. You know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think that's I think that's great. I I you know? often like if you don't go to the horror aspect of it, like Hellraiser kind of puts it in that same genre as that they're at that point where they are something else. Mm-hmm. They've 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 completely and yet they touch reality. They touch that point where it, and look to the others like you wish you were here. Mm-hmm. You wish you understood the madness that I have accepted. You know, and and that's the thing is, is that for it to be Lovecraftian, you need to shift Dune to something that is ominous and unknowable. It everything needs to feel odd, yeah, and powerful, and 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 just slightly out of reach the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, why do these people? Why do these these individuals or whatever they were go here? Were they always here? Were they created here? Ooh, like all those questions can't be answered. Yeah, yeah. For it to be Lovecraftian. And yet they have all of this knowledge. And they're willing to give it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh. There's aspects of that uh, uh, in, in the last arc here of my, uh, of my own game, actually. Hmm. You guys going to Apocrypha yes, no, and mining, mining it for its resource and its resources, arcane knowledge. First thing that I was actually thinking about while we were doing it was yep. was that was Apocrypha because it, it is very much that. Yep. So. yep. Uh, all right. So Philly Fan asks, uh, I'd be interested in seeing how you all would reskin the story of a journey to resurrect Gilliman following destruction of Cadia from Warhammer 40k. Um, I've always been curious about how best to run a story where the party is saving or seeking the chosen one instead of being the chosen ones and this feels like the perfect template for building such a story uh so you did provide graciously a uh a podcast uh for us to listen to where they broke down the thing woof um, <laughs> i know rob well, didn't, 40k is woof <laughs> rob didn't get as much out of it as i did but uh i didn't realize that bricky had a had a podcast uh mm. uh and so i know that now yes. um, i'm familiar with bricky and i'm familiar enough with 40k lore that when they started name dropping like eight different characters i understood what was going on i I got enough of it, and I understood why they were building all of the information in. Yeah, yeah. But the long and short of it is that there was a chosen one who eventually basically got severely, ridiculously injured, effectively and ostensibly killed, almost nearly killed. He's on life support. He's He's dashed away in life support. Yeah. yeah. Like, beyond the 40k life support of being put in a dreadnought. Mm -hmm. Like, that's life support at one level. This is is a totally different level. Right, right. This guy is messed, and they can't even, like, steal his gene seed good enough. Well, he's... This is... He's one of the uh, firstborn, I think. Right. I think he's, like, the... Ultramarine, like, like the, the, the literally U. the offspring of the Emperor. Ultramarine. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I'm trying to avoid saying Emperor's children because that's a faction. Correct. But <laughs> but yes, no. The the original Gene Seed, yes. if you will. Yes. Um, and they're like concerned, like they need him to fix a problem. And there's a group who are like, who are definitely not human, who are like, hey, we have a way to bring him back. And they're all like, you're not cool. Uh, cause you're not us and, uh, go the hell away. Yeah. And then they're like, by the way, this door just opened and a lot of bad things just poured through that you really need to get rid of. How about now? And they're like, okay, maybe now is, is a better time to ask, but we can't ask you. 
And they're like, fine. Well, okay. So <laughs> ba- ba- basically, what happens? You've got three factions, right? Okay. You've got a uh, the uh, you've got the machine dudes, sure, who are like, hey, we got a plan, and we've got this gigantic suit of armor. We'd also like to meet our meet our alien friends over here. And the humans are like, why are no. the aliens here? Kill the aliens! Kill the aliens! And they're all like, and Dope. the aliens are like. We're here because we worship this dope-ass god of death that allows us to, like, resurrect and cheat death constantly. You have a super soldier over there on life support. Who should be dead. (laughs) And we've got a badass suit of armor fit for him. Here's the plan. We kill him, and our god of death resurrects him. He puts on the armor. He gets to cheat death and becomes the ultimate unkillable super soldier you dig. And they're like... Okay, first off, you're aliens, so we're, we just want to kill you, yeah, yeah, yeah. and hell no to literally anything you say. Right. If you said the sky was blue right now, we would shoot you for heresy. And then turn it red. Um, but also, no, any plan that involves you killing our super soldier bro who's on life support over there is a big no. Right. And screw you for, for even right, suggesting right, it. Right, right, right. Then, unfortunately, the enemy attacks, and in the chaos of the uh, chaos, figuratively and literally, um, of that attack, they went. You know, they're all distracted. What if we just did it? Mm-hmm. With it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. So let's just put him in the box. Let's just put him in the box and then kill him. Yeah. Um, and then they do, and the the humans are all like, "Gur arg, I hate you. We're gonna kill you for ever laying a finger on the." Oh, oh, oh wait. Oh, he's back. Oh, he's alive. Yeah. Oh, you weren't kidding. You could resurrect him. Yeah. Oh, and he's wearing the cool armor. Oh, and he just single-handedly won the fight for us. Yeah. And pretty much all fights here on Forward. Neat. All right. Maybe you're not so bad. We're going to give a nod of respect and allow you to walk away instead of killing you. Right. And that's the story. That's the whole story. So a reskin of that, you you could grab aspects of it, but you... I don't think it's a plot. It is not because... It's a scene. What is the objective for the players? I think the, the objective is... This is kind of what he's asking about, what Philly fan's asking about, is um, doing a plot where you're where you're seeking the chosen one rather than being the chosen one yourself. So, I did that. Like, but what I did was I had you guys seek the parts of the chosen one. The armor. In my seventh scene Oh, game. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. in mine, the Hierophant was long since dead. But he had given up all of the pieces of his armor, and the only thing that would bring his people together is seeing it as a whole piece. As seeing the armor with the weapons and the and the gauntlets all on on someone. Yeah, yeah. And whoever whoever collected the whole set basically gets to be the ruler of the whole land. Would be recognized as it. Yeah. And yeah. that was the key, was is the only way we were gonna put Eisen back together was to put the armor back on, on Eisen. Mm-hmm. In Eisen and rebuild the empire, rebuild its country from that point. So, in many ways, you could grab aspects of a story like that where the players are there helping see something through. Um, an Arthurian legend, if you will, mm-hmm. where the players play the part of uh, of assistance to a um, to Arthur to uh the the creation effectively they could be the knights of the round table uh in essence yeah arthur i think so and and the the chosen one who is not yet chosen 
retrieves these these individuals who he knows are necessary. Mm -hmm. He has been told by his grand wizard that came to him and helped him find the sword. The one thing that makes you understand. Or the hammer. Yeah. That tells you that he is the right rightful heir, right? Mm. And he's come to you to say, I know your future. I've seen it. You, you have to be the ones to help me. There can be no others. And, and that sets the tone. Mm -hmm. Then at that point is, what is the objective that he cannot achieve alone? Yeah. And that's it. Then set some complications and life moves on. Yep. And boom, you've got adventure. That's right. That's right. Well done. Well done, everybody. Uh, all right. So Kilke asks, uh, what is considered the actual core for reskinning a story for interactive use? So you still have your adventure components. Yeah. You have to have those. But when you're reskinning, you have to tear it back to those basic components. You have to understand what they are. You have to know what's important about the setting, what's hooking your players involving the setting. Mm -hmm. You have to know what the objective is, what's obviously the objective for your players to be doing. And you have to know who is the important things within the setting or the who or things are important within the setting that move them with that objective. Yes. Yes. Boil it down to the bare minimum to make the inciting incident and all players involved. Mm -hmm. and, and there you go. And, and just let go. Oh, please let go. Please let go. Please let go. And then what are some useful breakoff points for making a story more your own? Uh, literally anything, anything after the inciting incident. Yeah. Um, you should let go of that as soon as humanly possible because... Yeah, we are reskinning and using these stories for a great jumping off point, but that's all they are. Yeah. Okay. Once you jump off a diving board, it ceases to be part of your swimming adventure. Also, I will say this things that can make it your own is also changing, not necessarily the vector, but the tone of a character. Sure. Maybe you didn't want Darth Vader to be James Earl Jones. Mm -hmm. Maybe you saw Darth Vader. Could be, I don't know, Rick Moranis. I, I, <laughs> I dare say it's very important to make these characters your own. Mm -hmm. Like you Very should, much so. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be trying to recreate Darth Vader. There's already a Darth Vader. Yeah. You know, you should be creating your own evil wizard. Mm -hmm. He has a doomsday weapon. You know this much. Mm -hmm. He's willing to use it. Mm -hmm. And he's kidnapped the princess to stop her, stop her from telling anybody who's... Uh, uh, who's going to, uh, you know, how to, how to disassemble it. Mm -hmm. But he hasn't killed the princess. No. Why hasn't he killed the princess? It's all Maybe he's got some honor. Maybe she's got some leverage. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's compromised in some way. I don't know. But these are questions that could make this character your own. Very much We're so. We're not in the Empire. This isn't Darth Vader. Correct. You can answer those questions any way you want. But the fact of the matter is, he's an evil wizard with a doomsday weapon. And a princess locked up in it. Who knows how to destroy it? Yep. There yep. you go. Yep. Enjoy yourself. The Mad Elf asks, uh, thoughts about reskinning stories that have been done to death, such as the uh, the Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven. Great stories, by the way. Unbelievable stories. Uh, one is with Samurai. Magnificent Seven is with uh, uh, Cowboys in the Wild yep. West. Gunslingers, yep. Um, in a way that keeps the story interesting for the players. So, adaptation is all about repetition without replication. Mm -hmm. And th there's a lot that has to do with fidelity within that. Um, and pe the closer you get to replication, 
the more concerning the fidelity becomes. Because people expect things the closer you get to replication. So the art of adaptation is stepping away from the replication. Keep the core, change as- change enough aspects. And one of the greatest things that Samurai 7 does, or 7 Samurai does, or as I said, Samurai 7, um, which was a different one, does is even if you keep the original core story farmers in an area are being overrun by mercenaries who are who are evil and taxing them and stealing from them and you are there to you are being asked without pay effectively to protect them out of pity just out of pity sure much out of pity Mm -hmm. um regardless if those people are other fighters samurai-esque ninjas whatever you may want to put them as or giant mechanized robots right oh god battletech magnificent seven have you seen seven samurai i no i no i haven't but i have seen magnificent seven right so seven samurai is just that yeah it's actual samurai one is actually steam powered it's a long story uh but it's the exact same story as seven samurai Mm -hmm. done in anime with giant robots. Yeah, sure. And it's fantastic. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. But the thing is, is that it is made its own by the alterations. Yes. By the by the acceptable alterations. So when you make it recognizable and your and your players recognize it, mm-hmm. they can certainly smile at that, at that level of fidelity, but know that it is different. Yeah. And it's yeah. theirs. It's their choice now. Uh, I, I always think back to uh, the, the the story I think it's told the most, even more than, you know, Magnificent Seven, uh, as great of a story as that is, is uh, Ferngully, Dances with Wolves, uh, Avatar. Avatar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those are the big three, I think, right there, but I think yep. there's several more iterations of it. And that is uh, uh, White Man from Civilization comes to pillage uh, the native indigenous mm-hmm. people's resources. Sure. And uh, 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 outsider from white man's world joins the indigenous people to fight against this incursion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think what you know what makes those stories unique um, from one another, what makes people want to watch each one of those things, is not that core story. Mm-hmm. You know, we all kind of know what we're getting in there for. Sure. But, like, why would you watch Ferngully if you've already seen Dances with Wolves? Well, you watch it for the great animation. Right. You watch it not because you care about the rain source, uh, rainforest and you can hear the trees crying, but because uh, uh, Robin Williams does an amazing voice acting job. Yes. The animation is top notch. The characters are top notch. You know, it, it's not the same dialogue. It's not the same dialogue. It's not the same scenes. It's not the same moments. Why would you? Why would you watch Dances with Wolves if you've already seen Ferngully? Well, because you're not you're not watching it for the sto- core story beats. You're watching it because a Native American story is not a perspective we get all the time. You mm-hmm. know, and you want that. Or you're maybe you're a Kevin Costner fan. You know, sure. Um, if you are, seek help. But that's fine. <laughs> um, you know, why would you watch Avatar? Over any of these other movies, mm-hmm. because because it's a brilliantly animated movie and the the character designs, like I mean, look, you're not watching it for the plot, okay? Or the Un- unobtainium. Unobtainium is a word somebody wrote on a script and it made it to the final cut, okay? And, and was said by major characters. It was taken. It was said with a straight face by major characters, yeah. okay? Yeah. You're not watching it for the plot, buddy. No. 
you're watching it for the amazing visuals. You're watching it for the character design. You're watching yes. it for the world building. Yes. Okay. And those are the things. Those are the things you can make your own. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're stripping a story down using this technique. You're stripping a story down to its barest bones. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that is native populace in, 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 incurred upon by uh, uh, by civilization. And person from civilization defends against civilization incursion. Yep. That's it. That's the bare bones. What's going to make it your story, what's mm-hmm. going to make it an interesting story that people are going to engage with, are the things you add to it Yep. to make it your own. Yep, exactly. So C Data asks, what stories have you reskinned that worked out really well at your table? You know, you want to hear something funny? I, I, don't, love... think I've, I don't think I've ever done this. Oh, I don't think I've ever actively, consciously used this technique. Really? Um, I, oh, the closest I came mm-hmm. was with the Poppy King plot was vaguely inspired by Far Cry. Yes. Four. Yes, I remember you talking about that. Far Cry Five, which was the one with the in the in the American Midwest. I want to say it's five. Five. Five, probably. I think it's then. Five. Uh, it was. It was. Vaguely inspired by it, but to be truthful, I've never played the game. Hmm. You knew of the story, though. I knew of the game. I liked the idea of out there on the countryside, mm-hmm. there is quietly brewing a cult mm-hmm. that is slowly taking it over until the, the legitimate authorities of the region notice yep. and go, oh, crap, this is now too big for us. Yeah. Uh, that is as close to reskinning a story in modern memory that I can think of. But it worked out really well, I think. No, I think it worked out great. I think it was it was unrecognizable, mm-hmm. but identifiable. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, in my case, I did dogma for the end of my D and D game. You did. I was straight up dogmed. You did. You without did. Without a doubt, God was trapped in a living vessel. Yep. Exactly. Uh, and and that that created a vacancy in heaven, which another god took took advantage of. Correct. Correct. Beautifully yeah. executed. And, it, and and again, grabbed the bones of it, created the complication, mm-hmm. put all the other pieces into play, and then made it my own. Yeah. And we only recognized it at the very end, and we were yeah. super into it when we saw yeah, it. Yeah. Once you, and that's what I think is beautiful is is even as far as you guys have gotten. Uh huh. Like it was there in reach the whole time. Yeah, it was. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, and I think it did work out very well at the end because by the end, everyone knew exactly what was necessary. Yes. And all the pieces were sitting there to play with it. And I I let you guys resolve it however you wanted, really. The thing was, I think you had tacked on enough of your own stuff and you had made it mm-hmm. and uh, integrated it into your world and your world building so well that even when it did happen, I kind of like, we all said, oh, this is like dogma. Yeah. You know, they, we've, I think we've, we, we, we verbed the term, you, you know, we, we were like, oh, oh, this oh is he dogma, he, he dogma, yeah. the, the, the God, you yeah. know? Um, but, uh, uh, I, I think it, like uh, the way we were talking about at the table, I was using it more like, uh, uh, in the movie office space. It's like Superman three. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's like dogma. Yeah. What's, what's the plot? It's like dogma. Yeah. You know, in this case it was straight up. Yeah. Like, and, and once you guys had accepted that, you're like, well, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other is, uh, are there any stories that didn't work out as well as you had hoped? Uh, give, given the rarity of how I have done this, I don't have an answer for your question. I'm going to say my, uh, the plot that I was running in my 7th C game for bringing, bringing together the Emperor, mm-hmm. uh, or the, uh, the Herophant's parts, didn't work out like I wanted it to. Because it was, I, I made the scope too big. But was that a reskin, though? 
It was, but it was an uh, unrecognizable one. Okay. I went too far with the reskin. Okay. Okay. Fair that enough. was my that was my concern. Was you did this, you did too much. I went well beyond. Yeah. Like I I had it in my notes, and then it it grew way too quickly, yeah. and I was like, and and I think that was part of the problem was is that I made it more than it should have been. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, all right, so Overwatch asks, uh, Star Trek was originally pitched as Wagon Train in Space. Uh, George Lucas took Hidden Fortress, some spaghetti westerns, and Flash Gordonified them. <laughs> I like that, Flash mm-hmm. Gordonified them, to make Star Wars. Is there a reskinned story or setting that stands out to you as really having eclipsed the original? And if so, what do you think worked so well? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I, okay, I I don't want to say that it eclipsed it, but I will say it worked out exceptionally well, and that is The Magnificent Seven. I felt that it was such a recognizable adaptation, mm-hmm. and yet the story felt compelling as the original. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, It's powerful. It is beautiful in that sense. Um... So I I I liken that. I definitely liken that. Um I really have to give this one a lot of thought because I know there are a number of stories that are clearly reskins, without a doubt are reskins um of prior stories that uh, that stand out in my mind. Um I'm having a lot of trouble thinking of one that is actively a reskin. Um, I mean, I, I I'm just thinking of like various adaptations of uh, Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my one of my favorite Shakespeare works. Um, and the uh, the the Claire Danes Leonardo DiCaprio modern day gang war one that was beautiful, but beautiful, but it's not a it reskin. Is, it is it's the original. Just, it's just Romeo. In fact, it is probably more faithful to the uh, to the source material than most other. I mean, definitely more so than West Side Story. Although West yeah. Side Story was was again beautiful as all get yeah. out. Um, I'm I'm really having trouble because because I I don't think I I don't think I can like. The way you phrase, like, the, the, you know, wagon train in space being Star Trek, you know, Lucas taking Hidden Fortress, some spaghetti westerns, and Flash Gordonifying them being a reskin, um, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm seeing past the, uh, the existing facade of a lot of these stories. Like, I wouldn't look at Star Trek and say that was a reskin. Um, mostly because I, I don't know wagon train, you know, mm. um, it was. I would definitely agree with that. I, I kind of see where, you know, uh, Flash Gordonifying some spaghetti western stuff and some, you know, fantasy. Like, I think once once Star Wars was explained to me as it's just D&D in space, mm-hmm. you know, you've got wizards, you've got laser swords, you've got magic spells, um, rogues, scoundrels, strange monsters. Uh, Agreed. Then, then, then I kind of get it, but uh, I, I don't... I don't know that I'm seeing the the bones of a lot of these properties the same way you are. Yeah. There are some there are definitely some that have come up in my mind and I can't think of them right mm-hmm. now um that I felt were incredible retellings but it took me a while to realize what it was. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that was I think that was the hardest part of looking at and going, "Oh my gosh, this is that story. Wow, well done." Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. Uh, cuz a good adaptation does that. It it catches you off guard at the very end where you look at it and you go, "Oh lord, that was this." That was the basic story of this. Yeah, I I think I think you know, I I think to, to answer your last question, what what do you think worked so well? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't think of any particular things, but what I can tell you is that um, my favorite stories are the ones that feel unique, feel like they were they were made their own. You know, that mm-hmm. draw me into their worlds mm-hmm. and don't just tell me the same old story I've heard a dozen times, mm-hmm. but tell it from a perspective that's unique or have a unique aspect about it that makes it interesting or. Um, a way of telling the story that is mm-hmm. interesting, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, Memento is essentially just a murder mystery. Yeah. But it's told backwards. Yes. In five-minute snippets of time that the protagonist doesn't know from point to point how he got there. Right. You know, okay, sure, you can tell me a murder mystery any day of the week and twice on Friday, but you tell it backwards from a character who has no memory? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm hooked. Yeah. I'm absolutely hooked. Yeah, you know, um, we we had brought I had brought up the fact that uh, of what Shrek really was, and we kind of figured out that Shrek was uh, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, just told slightly differently. Told slightly differently. Yeah, you you have a a powerful person who needs you to retrieve the princess who's the only one who knows how to undo him technically what's the what's this that 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 japanese um story that uh hunger games gets compared to all the time battle royale or something like that yes i think that's correct um which i don't know sadly yeah i I don't know the source material there but you know i mean hunger games caught on super big here in the states yeah I mean, I, I I do believe that we have a number of grand rebirths, but I, I honestly like my. I'm fortunately I'm I think I'm stumping myself yeah. by thinking about it. Maybe at the beginning of the next show we'll pull some together because I'm sure something's going to hit my head sure. ten minutes after show. Sure. So, uh, and then Tim Saucer threw this at the end, and he he reminded me so much. Um, I'm sure it's way too late for the episode, but my favorite reskin I did was uh, a level one D&D one shot that was straight up the three amigos. Once my players figured out what was going on, they leaned into it hard. First off, congratulations, Tim. You did a great job. Yep, yep. (laughs) Three amigos is amazing, and it's good. Mm -hmm. It is a great bare bones story that fits everywhere because it's. It's essentially the same thing. It's they're being hired to go take care of an evil that the people it's seven samurai. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. It is the key story of protect the people for little to no money, mm-hmm. you know, and to get caught up in, in the moment, the glory of it. Right. Right. You know, for your, for each individual, one of their own needs, you know, one's doing it because fame. Mm-hmm. They, he needs to, he needs the, the the to be noticed. One's doing it because he needs to be lifted up, and the other one's doing it because he feels it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless, it's people being oppressed, and you can figure out how to hook each one of those people into that world. After that, it's seven samurai, yeah. literally, it's, without a doubt. Yeah, it's just seven minus four samurai. Correct. Yeah. Correct. 
And and I I love that. I mm-hmm. absolutely love that. I I also love so many lines from Three Amigos. It's one of my favorite movies. And <laughs> to this day, I will quote the hell out of that. We we, we pretty frequently use the look at me, look at me. <laughs> but the other one always gets me is uh, uh, at birthday times. It is a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> so I I wanted to leave with a quote. Um. That was from the 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 book that I delve deep into, and it's literally the last paragraph of that book. And I want to leave you guys with this: We retell and show again, and interact anew with stories over and over. In the process, they change with each repetition, and yet they are recognizably the same. Sometimes we are willing to accept this fact, such as when it is Shakespeare who adapts. Arthur Brooks' uh, versification of Matteo Brandello's adaptation of Luigi de Porto's version of Masucci's Salamanto story of two young star-crossed Italian lovers. That awkwardly long lineage points not only to the instability of narrative identity, but also the, s- the simple but significant fact that there are precious few stories around that have not been lovingly ripped off. The workings of the human imagination. Adaptation is the norm, not the exception. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's succinct. Yeah. So, except if you look at something that you're writing and say, crap, that's just this. Yeah, it is, because you love it. Yeah. And that's fine. And and is this, I, I'm not sure if you, if, you, if you caught it or not, but basically Shakespeare ripped off someone who ripped off someone who ripped off someone who ripped off someone. It's Correct. okay. It is. Shakespeare's freaking famous for Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and but that story is three generations old. Earlier. Yes. <laughs> it's in how you tell it. It's in it's in making it your own. It's it's and ultimately, it's just about having fun with your friends at at your table at the end of yeah. the day and having a good time. These are role playing games. Don't think too hard about them. Exactly. In in the heart of stealing things, <laughs> in the heart of stealing things. Well, well, we're on the subject of thieving uh, from 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 various properties here. Uh, next week's topic is about is is the game mechanics swap meet. Yes, we are looking at game mechanics mm-hmm. outside of their games. Yes, that are just fun, useful, mm-hmm. express something in a unique way that you may want to pull from its various source mm-hmm. into your own game yep. if you have need for such a system. And sometimes it can be a pivot point for you to explore something in storytelling that you've always wanted to do mm-hmm. that the system you're currently working with doesn't incorporate. Yes. You know, do you, you know, in a short point, do you need to add fear to your game? Well, there's a mechanic for that. Yeah. So. Exactly. Alrighty, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd uh, love to hear from you there. Shoot us some great questions. We had some great questions We're this great. week. We'd love to, to to have that again every week. So uh, join us up on our Discord. You can uh, find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, especially our name members who help us out every single month. Knox in the Box, Subject, The Arcane Asylum, Veteran, Hulubu, Sam, Sean, and Sparkle Motion. We truly appreciate all your support. 
Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems or on Instagram at arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on YouTube Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much, thank you, so much for you. loving and supporting us. All of our friends who sat at our tables to give these great stories to share with you. Uh, and uh, every, you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night.